Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We'll shit, kill the music there so I can get a, a conflict going. Anyway, it's so good to have you with us. It's Monday, April 20th. For those of you who are downloading and listening to this broadcast after the fact, again, this is the broadcast that's created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award but from Progress and Lending. Thank them very much for that. Great honor. To appreciate you making this a part of your regular way of getting updates on what's going on in the industry. And my, oh my, you check the headlines today. There is a lot going on. Hopefully we'll get Paul Mowell back. He'll be back from vacation giving us an update here a little later in the broadcast. If not, we'll, we'll give you an update. We've got the regulars, Joe Farr on the line. We've got Alice Alvey. Prophet Doctor won't be able to be with us today. He's out and about making house calls, so Prophet Doctor will be missing. But we also have, of course, Sam Garcia. Lots of information today that we want to get into. I want to say a special thank you. Oh, by the way, our hot topic today is an update on housing. Very excited to have Lynn Fisher of the MBA, Dr. Lynn Fisher with the MBA. Worked closely with Mike Fratantoni. And you go, well, yeah, but I thought Mike was going to come on the broadcast. Well, Mike was coming on the broadcast. He did, and I got an email from him yesterday. I stepped in the office for just a minute, got that email that goes, sorry, had a family emergency, but I've got someone even better. You can't wait to talk to Lynn. And so I've had a few visits with her, and I really am excited about this conversation. What's really interesting, Mike has all the topics and all the economic. He could talk about what's going on and how grace interrelates to this thing. I really wanted to focus in on housing. And that was really the numbers. I'm looking at where, as you plan your business, as you plan the next quarter, the next six months, where's housing going? Because that's great. Grease, interest rates, fine. That's all fine. That's why I want to zero in. So we're very fortunate. It actually worked out quite well. We're going to have Lynn. She's on hold, and we'll have her on in just a little bit during the Hot Topic segment. So let's see. A special thank you goes out to our United Guarantee sponsor, as well as Velma. United Guarantee is, again, uh, just really the number one MI company for the fourth consecutive year in a row. I want to say uh, congratulations to them. I just want to make sure they put out a press release this last week that wants to reassure everybody that they are going to be compliant with the private mortgage insurance eligibility requirement rules. It's P-M-I-E-R-S as if we need another acronym, but we got one. And they will be uh, compliant, effective uh, December 31st, 2015. It's what the press release says. This was put out on the 17th. It's really important that we understand that this rule, and by the way, they are, the, uh, they are one of the GSE-approved mortgage insurers. I was with a client recently and going through the list of GSE-approved mortgage insurers. There's some that aren't on the list. Make sure you know who is and who isn't. It came as a bit of a surprise to my client who was going to use them for some things and, um, and, and to me. So check that list. Go check it out with Fannie Mae. It's on there. Uh, the most important part about the private mortgage insurance eligibility requirements, sorry, I forget that, caught my mouth, is that it's really important that they are going to be stable through this period of time and survive 
any economic stress. So they put themselves through some very stress tests, something we talk about regularly on this program. Every mortgage banker on their hedge position needs to look at the stress tests. And so they have done that, and they've gone through and have met all the requirements of the private mortgage insurance eligibility rules, requirement rules. It's a new deal that's out out of out from um, I believe this one is from FHFA. This is where I believe this one originated, if I'm not mistaken. Or CFPB, who knows? There's so much coming out at us all the time. Our stay top. We'll have Alice Dub give us an update on that. Anyway, um, also a special thank you goes to Velma. Very much appreciate them supporting our broadcast. Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant, that's Velma. They do a great job of getting out our message to you each day and encourage you to use them as well. They're great folks, and you'll be happy you're working with them. Uh, let's talk about upcoming conferences, MBA conferences, May 3rd through the 6th. We have the Legal Issues and the Regulatory Compliance Conference. That's at the Chicago Sheraton Hotel and Towers. And then also the one that I'm looking forward to. Hope to make this one. It's got a bunch of conflicts potential. But the May May 17th through the 20th, the National Secretary of Marketing Conference and Expo in New York City at the New York Marriott Marquis. It's there every each and every year. Uh, this one is going to be really, really important because of all that's going on. Mike Fratton-Tony will be giving an update on um, what his predictions and projections are for the market there. And so um, you'll definitely want to pick up on that. There's also just so much going on. New investors, are we going to see the private markets come back? So we'll get some more insights from that when we have Lynn on the broadcast just a little bit later. Joe Farr, good to have you here. Uh, you made me a little nervous there, dialing at the last second. It's going Oh, no. Do I well, have to do Joe's report? <laughs> it's good to have you. No, I, I was putting out an alert. We just put out a an unfavorable price change alert because the market's off about four or five, 30 seconds from where some people might have put prices out. So um, I, I, I wish I, mean, you're doing I don't your have job? an answer. Doing- I was doing my job, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I don't have a I don't have a reason to give you for the drop but uh it's just occurred in the last uh you know 30 minutes or so. Yeah, well, yeah, that I say there's no economic data. Well, let's get into that. Let's start no. off by talking well, we talked about today. I see the Dow is up 250, is that? Well, it's yeah. up 230 now. So, it's been up oh, all morning and and you know, it lost what 280 on Friday. So, I think uh uh, the market is just, uh, um, you know, catching back up. It was a big drop yeah. on Friday. Uh, oh, buyers got, are coming I, in on the dips. Well, I, I, you know me, Joe. I like listening to podcasts. And this weekend I was listening to a whole bunch of podcasts. One of them is Follow the Money. And it's really interesting as you look at what's going on and where the markets are at. It's fascinating. And looking at our own positions, where should we be? Is this time to be in cash? And you look at the market being at all-time highs. We're into the bonds. We follow the bonds of this industry. But it's interesting to see that the market is up 250. And uh, so I think you're right, swinging within a new trading range. But let's talk about last week. Um, Very interesting week last week. Yeah, we we improved 12, 30 seconds overall last week. And um, you know, it was just about every day uh, I saw a little bit of improvement. Um, the you know, starting out with retail sales, uh, retail sales came out. And they were uh, yeah expected to bounce. We'd had three months in a row of declining retail mm-hmm. sales. This is all Exoto, by the way. So decline three right. months in a row of declining sales, and uh, uh, expected a bounce in March, and we got a little bit of one, but almost uh, you know not. Not near what was expected. Uh, Seven tenths growth yeah. was expected, and only four tenths came. And 
you know that that provided a little boost to MBS prices. Uh, other weaknesses were seen in, in industrial production. Uh, it fell uh, fell short of expectation. Uh, March housing starts and building permits fell short of expectations. Uh, first time jobless claims rose a little bit. But you know it's interesting to look. I mean that's just the initial claims. The the continuing claims are down at the lowest level they've been in since 2000. Uh, so it's, it was kind of good news. Other good news uh, yeah. came from this the National Association of Home Builders. Their, their confidence survey jumped yeah. a bit. So, um, you know, even though the starts were low, the confidence is high. So that, that maybe that bodes well for uh, uh, May building activity. Yeah. Uh, inflation month, last week, CPI and PPI, both the core measures showed uh, showed inflation in March was a little uh, a little higher than what was expected and it's you know it's been such a non-event of late it's starting to get mm-hmm. a little attention cpi rose to an annual uh, uh basis of 1.8 percent that's up from 1.6 percent just two months ago so uh we're starting to see a little heat up there i know that there are other things that that are going to put it put a slowdown on it like the the import prices uh being low due to the strength of the dollar and the uh, cost of gasoline is going to work its way through there, but uh, still an, an increase from increase from 1.6 to 1.8 in a couple months is a pretty big in, increase. Uh, yeah. And then, as you might guess, Dave, Fed speakers are starting to get more and more attention as their policy is uncertain and or it's certain based on what they they view is happening in the economy. And so last week it was interesting on Thursday to see. Vice Chair Fisher, uh, his speech caused the markets to sell off. We lost a little bit of price uh, based on what he had to say. It was a little bit uh, more hawkish than what people had had thought of him. And then later in the day, several other Fed speakers came on, and they were a little more dovish than what might have been expected, and and things turned right around. So uh, it's going to continue as as the the Fed's decision as to when to start raising rates – continues to be uncertain anything that any of the fed speakers say is going to be uh of interest to the market well the the, uh, the minutes from the that last fomc meeting clearly identified that there's quite a divide amongst the various members really is. and so, and so we're going to every time we see one speaker speak i would just wish they'd put all the people that are hawkish in one end of the week and then uh, all the doves in the other end of the week uh, rather than because <laughs> it's volatility that they cause it's just really it interesting is. throughout the week but it makes for interesting reporting but you got to have a service to like mbs quote line to stay on top of it but interesting that greece is back up in on the radar again boy they are a mess you know they're they're going to run out of cash here pretty soon and the question is what's going to happen is the IMF going to provide some leniency, or uh, you know they've got bills to pay and no cash to pay it with, and uh, it's going to come to a head pretty soon. So uh, the market is, you know, beginning to build in a an a Greek exit from the euro and or the eurozone and and from the euro, and uh, uh, the question is how big an issue is that going to be. In and of itself, it's not that big, but uh, obviously the concern stems from other people following suit, other countries following suit. So um, that will continue to be in the market now. I mean, uh, there are 
cash payments due in a couple of weeks. There are more cash payments due in a, in a week or so after that. So it's just going to be one deadline after another that's going to be creating some uh, some concerns for the market. We've already talked and, about the Dow, so we move on into looking at what this week has. So I mean, this week with you know it, it will, like you say, it's going to remain the focus, but. It looked like a pretty light economic calendar for the most part, although the focus will be home sales, the topic of our yeah. our hot topic here. Well, March existing home sales will be released on Wednesday. Uh, the uh, consensus is for an increase from February. Uh, the March new home sales will be released on Thursday, and the consensus there is for a decrease from February home sales, new home sales. Mm. Uh, durable orders comes out on on Friday, uh, um, and a big improvement there is expected. Again, uh, being weather related, uh, a few months prior, uh, a rebound is expected there, and we'll see if it fares better than retail sales did. Very interesting. Very, very interesting to see what we have in the volatility. You just got to have a service like this, especially when you have one hawkish dove. You know, one hawkish Fed member speaking, and then another governor, and then a, I mean, it's just the whipsaw of the market. So you got to have the service. I'm looking at it; it's really starting to head down, pretty pretty good right at the moment. It's only 4:30 seconds, so not a huge deal. But again, volatility, good amount of it today. Just what we're seeing in the markets. Thank you so much, Joe. Appreciate you, and sure. I'm looking forward to your participation. Really, when we get uh, Lynn on the conversation, Lynn Fisher with the MBA, Dr. Lynn Fisher. So it'll be good to have your thoughts on that. So. Sharpen up that pencil, make lots of notes, and we'll go from there. Folks, we're going to be right back with Paul Malo right after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Good to have you with us. We've got Paul Mauro on the line. Good to have you here, Paul. You were on spring break last week. Hope you had a great spring break family trip somewhere. If you go somewhere fun. Miami was very nice, but the traffic, man, I haven't been in Miami in years. I was surprised about how uh, how much traffic it is there is. Really got, yeah, really, yeah. We we flew there to the island of the Bahamas, we, the Exuma, where we went, and I think I shared with you some of the pictures we had. So, sure. uh, yeah, it's crazy in Miami. Fly over it and right, go right on out to the Bahamas is my recommendation. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> Looking at your great website again, I tell everybody, dialed into www.imfnews.com. If you're not signed up for the blog, get this an email, daily email. Lots going on. Boy, oh, there's a lot to report on right now, especially with um, all that's going on. So let's go through your headlines. I want to get your updates, especially the quicker ones I want to get, spend sure. a few moments on. Sure. Yeah, uh, let's start with the VA. I mean, you know, VA is sort of the unreported story. At least our competitors don't seem to be uh, paying much attention or the general business press. I mean, volumes are really going up in in Veterans Administration loans. 
I remember we were watching CNBC one day, and I saw an ad for VA loans from who else but Penny Mac. I mean, it's like suddenly the industry has discovered uh, you can make no down payment mortgages <laughs> through the VA program. <laughs> of course, the catch is you have to be lending to someone uh, who's got military service. It's not like you know the credit union membership, which is pretty darn fuzzy these days, and you hear banks complain about that all the time. Yeah. But you know, to make a VA loan, you have to be in service. Um, but yeah, that's it's fascinating. VA uh, outstandings keep going up. FHA is dropping, uh, and that's a very interesting story to watch. Uh, the other big story, uh, the number two today for us, it, you know, is the story about uh, Quick and suing HUD and DOJ over uh, the alleged allegations that they violated FHA underwriting. I mean, everyone knows. You know, lenders from Chase to SunTrust to to whoever have been, you know, uh, sued or threatened to be sued, and they wind up settling, um, you know, out of court with uh, DOJ and the HUD IG's office over, you know, alleged FHA underwriting violations. But Quicken steps and says, uh, sorry, guys, uh, you know, we're going to fight the man. (laughs) And that's what we have here. I have a copy of the lawsuit. It's over 50 pages or 40 pages or whatever. Still reading it, uh, you know, and there's a lot of people who won't go on the record, but they're cheering this on. They're like, you know, bring it on. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, and there's a lot of you know, pro Quicken comments uh, that I've I've received. No anti Quicken comments, let me tell you. And they they are really happy that Quicken is is carrying the water for the industry. You know, last summer with JP uh, JP Morgan Chase and Jamie Dimon made some comments. Um, Hinting that you know maybe they'll, they'll ditch the FHA program. They never did, of course, but um, you know this is very very interesting. I can't recall the last time a lender of this kind of prominence turned around and sued the government. So this this is inter- This can be an interesting one to watch. Uh, we also had a follow up to the Pima story, which we had out on Friday. Pima is in the uh, G fees. Uh, Genworth made a disclosure about how much additional capital they're going to need to meet the uh, eligi- uh, mortgage elib- uh, eligibility requirements from uh, the FA- mm-hmm. yeah, FHFA. Uh, it's a pretty big number. They also say they're going to meet it, but it's a big number, $500 million to $700 million. Uh, they're going to have to do some rejiggering to get there. That's a, a big story, obviously. Uh, Brandon Ivey's got a story about physician loans. Uh, this is a story that you know I started looking into months ago, not about physicians per se. You know, there's a really big uh, or niche market out there, I should say, not big, about lending to doctors and dentists. And uh, Brandon's got a story there about physician loans, which is part of uh, Tower Mortgage and how they're uh, you know changing their underwriting guidelines to make it easier to uh, get no de- no down payment loans again for doctors and dentists. Um, also, there's a story out there about uh, one of these, uh, I guess they call marketplace lenders. I don't know if it, it falls under the rubric of, of crowdfunding. Uh, this is a, a non-bank that gets uh, investors from the Internet, and they're lending it out. It looks like they're going to go into the, the non-QM space. Uh, in short takes, we have uh, just a follow-up to the quick and um Quicken story, and in that lawsuit, uh, Quicken mentions that over the past three years they've been subpoenaed uh, by DOJ to the tune of 85,000 documents and emails. Uh, and, of course, mm. there some of their top officers have been tied up in uh, depositions with DOJ. Uh, interesting uh, story. Quicken in itself is interesting. Dan Gilbert, who uh, has run that thing for many years or has owned it for many years, he apparently no, owns yeah. 70 office buildings uh, or buildings, I should say, in Detroit. Yeah. Here's a guy who's really Detroit. bet, you know, bet his um, 
well, made a big financial well, I, bet I, on on the recovery in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. I mean, he and, yeah, yeah. I'm, I got quoted in some articles. Um, I got asked my opinion about them, and in the Detroit was a Detroit Free Press or one of the publication or one of the big major newspapers. I can't remember which one it is, but anyway, and he, uh, got a really nice note from him. Thank you. He says I really am bullish, and so uh, I, I, he believes in the city. He's obviously done so much there. Nice right. to see him believing in Detroit because a lot of people haven't. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, you know, it's, I got I got some friends in Ann Arbor, and you know, um, you know, it's I haven't been to Detroit in you know a long time. I was in the airport years ago. I, you know, one of these days I want to go and and see what all this revival is about. And you've heard about them planting corn in the middle of the city. Uh, you know, here's well, you know, yeah, not only I, Dan Gilbert buying up properties, he's putting all the Quicken employees in them. Yeah, he's put, yeah, exactly right. And yeah. and you look at. Well, Alice is on the line. Alice, you're here with us. You were kind enough to drive me through the streets of Detroit. And, you know, uh, when I was out there, you and I were speaking together at a conference, and we went to one of the games, the baseball games there. And it was really a lot of fun. But it's just amazing to see how that city has been hit. Uh, and, and and it really came from government, poor choices uh, of leaders. And, and there was a big So it's an interesting thing to study, and I encourage anyone who wants to understand how important it is we pay attention to elected officials and their policies. If you want a lesson in this, go to Detroit. Really dive into it. And if you could get Alice to drive you around, Paul, she will just (laughs) fill your mind with all the kinds. That was really, really good. So anyway, it's good to have you on. Rapidly changing nature of the auto industry too had a little bit something to well, do with it. Yeah, it has yeah. a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, if you but don't forget again, that. Yeah. Well, Go ahead, you look Alice. at what went out outside of Detroit. But anyway, Alice, chime in on the Detroit story. That's part of the story here. Yeah, well, Paul, first of all, you're welcome any time any time to come to Detroit and I would ha- be happy to have give you to drive you around and give you a tour. And then Secondly, yeah, we are big Dan Gilbert fans. I mean, I remember, um, you know, Rock Financial with Dan before it was Quicken Loans. He's a brilliant businessman. I've been in that shop, you know, assisting in different ways. And uh, we certainly uh, believe in a lot of good that that comes out of that company. So um, I, too, am very interested and was going to talk about that a little bit on my segment to see, you know, like you said, Paul, it's not easy that um, you have – a large company who you would normally call the Goliath in the battle is now trying to go after a bigger Goliath, right? right. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the battles of the Titans. Well, well, we're going to get right into you, Alice. Paul, I want to say thank you so much for joining in. And again, to have it good to have you back. Look forward to having Great. you back you. next week. Right. And like folks, if you are not, yeah, I always enjoy it. If you do not have www.imfnews.com, uh, in your save folder, you've got to have it. But more importantly, sign up for the emails. They're really, really good stuff, and we appreciate them. And Paul taking time to be part of the broadcast. Alice, let's get into some of the things that you're doing. Good to have you with us. Hi, Dave. Yes, Alice. thank you. Hi. <laughs> Whoop. Sorry. <laughs> you know what happened? Al, sorry, I cut your mic off because it was Paul's mic I was killing, and he dropped off, and I muted your mic as you shifted up next to him. So sorry about that. That's okay. You're back. Yes, I am here. So anyway, I just wanted to, uh, yeah, I'm glad Paul, I got a chance to chat about that with Paul because certainly um, I wanted to just at least give our two cents from the Detroit perspective. I I do think it is very 
uh, much of a challenge for a large lender to think, you know, what are the consequences? I mean, if you think about it, that's a huge decision as a company. If you say, I'm, I'm being written up by the DOJ and HUD for various actions within my shop, and, you know, I do a lot of things right. We have good policies and procedures, and then there are these, you know, in their opinion, again, I'm not trying to judge one side or the other, but, you know, as a, as a company that does good business and is trying to do good, and you say every company has challenges with a certain employee or the occasional loan, you know, at what point do, uh, do you get anything um, to be considered for you're doing the, you know, you're doing things very, very well and you've got some good systems in place. I mean, any shop can uh, try and manage to zero errors, but I don't know if any shop actually successfully does that. Um, we might manage that all the time as Indicom as we manage, you know, multiple companies and you try and say, how do you get the company to zero errors or our performance to zero errors and, you know, uh, who's perfect? That's what I want to know. And at what point does it become fines and penalties? So, anyway, I'll stop on there because, you know, I'm obviously a Dan Gilbert well, I thought it's a soapbox I could, <laughs> it's a soapbox you and I could stand on and go on and on and on about. I, I'm one of the ones that are cheering them on. Uh, yeah, I, I understand the government. I understand their role, but it, it just seems like there's been an overreach in so many things. Like you report each and every day. I mean, this there we messed up as an industry. There was, I mean, a lot of people get upset with me when they say, "But, but it wasn't me that did it." But we were all part of the industry. So whether how complicit you were in the previous housing crisis, the fact is many of us were here. And if you didn't speak up, that's what the purpose of this broadcast is to begin to have create a mechanism by which we can speak up and garner the voices together to be more proactive. I think when someone does that, like Dan Gilbert and Bill Emerson, I, I just want to applaud it. I just want to go. It's leadership. It's gutsy leadership, Alice. And it's coming out of Detroit. Well, that's a great place to see some new leadership rising up. Good job to them. I'm for I'm all oh. for Dan running for politics, other than he can't <laughs> seem to keep some really good players on his on his bas- basketball team. But anyway, just go. No, that's another topic. Well, and I think there's a slippery slope, you know, on both sides of this. You know, if you're the, the lender, are you really putting yourself at risk for, you know, the, the powers that be being more upset or are you really going to get some success and if the government pulls back on anything that it's been writing up or doesn't pull up so I, I'm trying to think so if they don't pull back on anything you know as lenders we'll be watching this very closely if we have to truly be at zero tolerance for everything going on especially with an FHA lending if somebody wants to see that credit box tighten up you go ahead and, and make this a case where the government wants to dig in their heels and be right because that will do nothing yeah. but pull the credit box tighter if lenders feel, I can't make one mistake or it will cost me an awful lot of money. So I think the gar- they need to look at this very closely from the aspect. So I'll get on quickly with my report. One thing I wanted to make sure was um, I brought up about the Quicken Loans. We have been watching two bills uh, for everybody here. So House Bill 650 and then House Bill 685. 650 was around last year. So when QM first came out, Mm -hmm. they were first trying to get rid of how the points and fees test was going on for brokers, and that got solved. But the piece that's been out there is this affiliate, right? So as you kind of go through the new trid, one of the dicey points for companies that have a a title company and a lender or shared ownership is this treatment for the title insurance is different than if it's a non-affiliate. So this bill, um, this House Bill 650 was the one, uh, I'm sorry, i got to get my numbers right. Yeah, so I'm sorry, 680, the numbers kept switching around. Yeah, 650 was the one that had to change that bona fide third-party charges, even if it was paid to an affiliate, would be excluded from the QM points and fees test. 
Then the other bill we've talked about was about the manufactured housing, that they're feeling the points and fees squeeze on high-cost loans just because their price points are lower, and they want their uh, points and fees threshold moved up to 10%. So this new, there's a House Resolution 189 that's combining these two, uh, and that's now passed the House. So we, we do see that there might be some movement on changing the affiliate fees in the QM, uh, definition, but we'll wait and see, right? Um, obviously, things change as they move yep. into the Senate. So it was really, from a uh, legislative standpoint, something that got a little bit of movement. And the one thing on the compliance side, I want to make sure that everybody's watching um, is don't forget about the consumer complaint process. So uh, it's about ninety, it about so we're about left with about sixty days. Uh, so it started, the clock started in March. It'll be about June. 19th, somewhere in that window, CFPB will start publishing or asking the lender, I'm sorry, I'm asking borrowers if they want to opt in to have their complaint comments published on the CFPB website. Mm. So in that opting in, the customer is going to say, you guys are crazy, Um, you should have given me a modification even though I don't have a job, right? I mean, whatever the customer wants to say is going to get published, (laughs) and um, CFPB will scrub it a little bit, but the lender then gets a chance to respond, but that will be kind of like a boilerplate response. So heads up, Trid, you only have 60 days to try and get a handle on your consumer complaint process with the CFPB. Um, and then, of course, watching, we don't see an extension yet for the FHA new 4001 due to go into effect June 15th. So that's my report, Dave. I know we want to save time for Mike Fratt and Tony. I'm looking forward to talking with him. Yeah, unfortunately, Mike can't be on. You were oh, joining late because I know you were just getting out. We've got Dr. Lynn Fisher in, in oh, sitting in, and I'm, she specializes. She's with the MBA and is a head of research and economics. And uh, very excited to talk to her because she's the expert on housing within there. Mike knows that obviously well, but uh, so we're very, very fortunate to have uh, Dr. Lynn Fisher with us. So um, very excited to have her. But you were, you weren't on the first part of the broadcast. You were dialing in. I know you were traveling, but thank you so much for taking time. You are one busy person flying around the country, Alice, and taking the time to dive in and share the wisdom and insights of what's going on is always, always appreciated. So folks, we're going to be right back with, uh, well, we got Sam Garcia on the line. I see Sam's there still. I want to make sure we get him on. Then we're going to get on with Dr. Lynn Fisher. We'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. That's the voice of Andy Alvey, Alice's son. He does such a good job with our ads. Appreciate him so much. Greetings, Andy. Thank you so much for what you do. All right, let's get Sam Garcia on. You're dialing in. You're out in L.A. out there. You got tired of the weather here and decided to go out west. Hopefully it's just a temporary move, Sam. Yeah, well, I brought a few glasses of water to help the folks out here, if you know what I mean. A little bit of a drop going on. So, so is, is that a way to go into Southern California? You've got to bring a gallon of water to contribute to their shortage. That's so funny. Hey, hey it's something, right? Uh, it's something. All the, all the grass has <laughs> all died out here. It's not quite as green as it had been in the past. 
Yeah, it's sad. It's really sad. It's, it, well, we were late here in Texas, but let's talk a little bit about some of the headlines you've got going on, folks. I want to make sure, call your attention to it. www.mortgagedaily.com. Great information. And uh, Sam is kind enough to join us to reach Sam, 214-521-1300. Sam, what you got for us today? Well, Fannie Mae put out its outlook today, its forecast, uh, which it puts out each month. And yeah. basically, Fannie's put has a, originations for this year coming in at 1.3 trillion dollars. Um, they boosted it from 1.2 trillion, which was predicted last month. And next year's outlook was also increased to uh, 1.231 trillion from 1.206 trillion. And both refinances and purchase financing uh, were both boosted as far as the uh, forecast for both mm. of them. So. Very positive news about uh, where we're heading this year and next year. And, uh, in fact, last week we saw that our mortgage market index, which we published based on data from Optimal Blue, it was up 9%. And out front of uh, that activity was jumbo inquiries and refinance activity. So we saw that kind of a boost really across the board, but those two those two categories were up the most. Um, we got some data from the, uh, from the Conference of State Bank Supervisors, and it, uh, it actually had some um, origination data for non-bank originators. And what we found is that uh, California has the highest originations last year, uh, and that was followed by Texas and then Florida. And the two that really surprised me were Virginia and Colorado were the fourth and fifth uh, for volume last year on mortgage uh, originations. That was kind of interesting. Um, we saw that the foreclosure report came out last week from Realty Track and U.S., uh, all the metrics were worse. New foreclosure filings were worse. Um, we saw that uh, the yeah. foreclosure rate got worse, and the number of completed foreclosures got worse, though Realty Track suggested that really that's just some cleaning out and uh, uh, getting some activity from stuff that was already in process. But uh, it didn't look good from a number standpoint when it comes to foreclosures last month. Um, modification, that, especially with a loosening of credit that's being talked about by uh, uh, Julian Castro and Vice President Biden. That's just anyway, it's a little troublesome to see. We'll, we'll get Lynn's comments on that in a little bit here. Uh, you started saying something else. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Well, no, along those lines of what you just mentioned, you know, we always uh, can look back to the Mortgage uh, Bankers Association has that credit availability index. And I mean, yeah, you know, I don't remember what the number was, but it's somewhere in the 100s versus uh, it was close to 800 in 2006. So whether or not credit <laughs> has got loose, it's nowhere near where it was pre-crisis. So, so uh, yeah. loan modification activity slowed. Uh, we got the data from uh, uh, Hope Now that indicated uh, loan on, loan modifications fell in February compared to January, and. Uh, so we see that that activity continues to flow, which is, should be a good indication that, uh, you know, people don't need uh, modifications or don't qualify because they're not upside down necessarily. Um, finally, um, there was a survey put out, uh, reported last week by Capsulon, and they basically surveyed executives at the recent Mortgage Bankers Association conference. And that survey found that 41% of the people they surveyed uh, said they aren't prepared for the new uh, integrated disclosures. Um, and Ooh, of course, that goes into yeah. effect on August 1st. So, uh, that's what Alice <laughs> has been saying. We've been talking about, we're just really concerned yep. about people just saying, well, I've got that in the hands of my vendor. I hope, they're got, I hope they got it together. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
And yeah, exactly. we wonder why and we you, have uh, One thing I wanted to add to the Quicken conversation was that in, I read that complaint this morning, and uh, they were saying that based on FHA's own data that's been reported, that Quicken has like the lowest uh, default rates. So it's like, uh, what are you doing? You know, right along the lines of what you were saying yeah. earlier. Go take one. Take go take on one of the top lenders. It makes no sense. Well, I appreciate you dialing in, especially when you're out there in L.A. Uh, take, or the Southern California market and uh, visiting out there, carrying some water too. And that's hilarious, Sam. Appreciate <laughs> you, man. You have yourself a good trip, and look forward to having you back. At good old warm Texas here, starting to warm up here. It's a beautiful for, weekend, man. Thanks for having me on the show, David. Always a pleasure, Sam. Blessings to you. Well, we're going to get right over to our special guest. I'm very excited to have with us today Lynn Fisher from the MBA, Dr. Lynn Fisher. She is Vice President of Research and Economics for the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. And in this role, she is responsible for managing the MBA's economic and mortgage origination forecasts. Can't wait to hear about that. Developing analysis on issues important to the mortgage industry. Prior to the, being with the MBA, she served on the faculty at, oh, I'll probably kill this, is it Kennan? I'll say that. Lynn, you're going to have to come on and pronounce that right so I don't blow that. I'm terrible at that. I'll tell you about that sometime. As also, that's located in uh, at the University of North Carolina. And then also, you got your Ph.D. at one of my favorite places, Penn State. And uh, Jack Guttentag is one of my dear, dear friends. And I just had dinner with he and his wife at, at Wharton there. So it's so good to have you with us. Really exciting to be on board. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's get the right. You taught at, how do you say, Kenan? Keenan? It's the Keenan Flagler Business School at UNC. Yep, yep, at UNC. Great school. I love UNC. I love the basketball team there. Um, so much to talk about, but we're just, we have the time. I just want to say, first of all, thank you so much for stepping in when Mike had a personal emergency. For those of you that did not listen to the early part of the broadcast, uh, Mike Frantoni was scheduled to be with us and give us an update. And he wrote me Sunday, said, Dave, I got to. I got to cancel. I've got a family emergency, but I'm not leaving high and dry. I'm having Dr. Lynn Fisher step in. So, Lynn, thank you so much for taking the time to dial and be with us. And then I was really excited as I read over your bio that's on the MBA website. And, folks, I encourage you to go out and read her full bio. Very interesting background. And then, really, on home ownership and housing affordability, this is really where I wanted to go with our broadcast anyway, Lynn. So, it's, you know, I hate to see. The reason Mike couldn't be with us, but I'm really so honored to meet you and really fortunate to have you here to talk about something that you really keep your eyes on. Uh, we could talk about Greece. That's what Mike would have gotten into, talked about all the other things. But uh, but let's really get into this. First of all, let people get to know you a little bit. If you could cover some of your background so people just have a sense of connecting with you and, uh, and, and really what gets you excited about what you're doing there at the MBA. Oh well, thanks so much for that that introduction. I'm uh, I just came on board with MBA uh, back in October, and really have just been immersing myself in the data here and all the great survey and all the great work that they do. Um, before that, as you mentioned, I was at UNC, I was at MIT before that, and have really focused a lot of my research on decision making that households make with respect to their jobs and where they're going to live. Um, I've looked at housing affordability, especially up in New England, where you know, there's a lot of regulations about how much housing can be developed and what types can be developed. And so this is a really interesting time. It's been really frustrating because of the, the long play out of the recession. <laughs> but, you know, now we get to try to figure out where we go from here. Well, I mean, for those of you, 
I have everyone, all our guests dial in early, so I hit the chance to just talk to them a little bit. And, and I said, how much of this has become science or guessing? And, uh, you know, it's always fun to hear someone with a Ph.D. say, well, it's, it's science, definitely. We're looking at things statistically, but it's becoming more guessing. And, and I can begin to understand because we've never been where we're at in the past as far as it relates to economics and explain for our listeners that may not understand where we're at. It's the fed intervention. You look at monetary policy where we're at. I mean, we just have never seen anything quite like this, but bring our listeners up to date on the macro picture of where we're at. Lynn. Well, on the, on the housing side, I think the number that always stands out to me is, is sort of showing us just where we are. Our housing starts. I mean, our normal, Number of housing starts in a year is over a million, and we've been you know, hanging out around 600,000 a year or less for the last four or five years. We're still only yeah. forecasting you know, 700 and some for this year, 850 for next year, still well below long-run average. Um, and it just, it's been a very slow unraveling of this recessionary period to get us back to a point where people are willing to buy homes and we're going to be able to start building new ones. Um, it was our interesting article published last week, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, um, that Nick Timbrose published about this housing recovery. And it has really been a sluggish recovery. We had Nick um, um, Logan Motoshami on talking about some of the stuff and how he's been challenging uh, with questions, more of the, the Socratic questioning of things uh, that's being put out by some of the economists. And he really made some really, really good points. And, and I think you and I were talking just before the broadcast about household formation, that's probably one of the most uh, alarming, probably not the right word, but probably one of the most insightful statistics because we're seeing such a delay in household formation. That's right. I mean, household formation, the rate of household formation has been well below that of population growth for the last number of years, four or five years. And so uh, households have been doubling up, right? They've acquired roommates. Kids have moved back into the basements. We've all made all the you know, requisite jokes about that. Um, yeah. But just last year, we saw a lot, uh, a lot greater household formation than we'd seen in the past, and they were renters. So if you think about this in stages, you know, there was this beginning of household growth. You know, consumer optimism was up. We're starting to see some firming in wages. The unemployment rate was down. And lo and behold, households started to form. Um, you know, I think 1.7 million new households uh, last year. So what we're really holding our breath for, and, and obviously for all of the housing forecasts we do, we're waiting to see, for example, how Q1 looks. You know, did new households continue to form? Um, and I think it's going to play out in stages. We're going to get new renter households first. We did see uh, in the fourth quarter that there were, was a net gain in owner-occupied households, but we're probably going to gain more on the renter side for a while. And then, you know, behind that's going to come a wave of, of new owner-occupiers. And why do you think that is? I mean, why is it the rental market is, for the millennials particularly, are it, it, that's the preferred way to go uh, versus stepping up and buying a home, even if they're not forming a household, per se, getting married and mating and having kids. But, I mean, what what is um, what is the contributing factor there, do you think, your studies? Well, I think a lot about um, getting the right fit in the job market, for one thing, right? This has been a long, drawn-out recession. A lot of people took jobs just to have a job. Um, Certainly, you know, when I was teaching MBAs at, at UNC, you know, in 2010, 2011, 2012, you took a job and you took whichever one you could find. 
Um, and yes. then you hope to move into that next job, that better job, the job that fits you better or matched your dreams or what have you. And so people still have to work all of that out. They still have to get into the right job, get comfortable they're going to be in a location for a while. You know, that means they're going to have a, they're going to be confident in their income stream and that they want to stay put because you don't buy a home until you're reasonably sure you're going to be there for a little bit. So, you know, as households get confidence, then they become able to become homeowners. Someone just shot me a text, one of our listeners, and said, Dave, define household formation for me. What does that, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, um, it's literally the number of households we have in the U.S. relative to the population. So the, if you flip that over, you can think of the number of people per household, right? So if we have mm-hmm. uh, you know, three or four people living in a household versus in good times, you know, those four people might divide up and be two two-person households. Um, we, where, what are we thinking about here? So one, 1 million new households a year, 1 to 1.2 is kind of normal growth, growth that keeps yeah. up with population yeah. growth. Um, and it's been, you know, well below that on and off for the last couple of years. So we think oh, upwards, yeah. you know, upwards of 1.2 to 1.4 million on and off over the next couple of years is not at all unlikely, right? As people well, get think- confident about their wages and move out into their own. I think that's really the key. People are taking jobs that they didn't necessarily go to school for or that they were educated to do, and they are now in a place where I've settled. I took a job as a placeholder until I can get to where I want to go. And I, So I think that really contributes to that, and that's some of the point that Logan was making, and I really think there's a lot to that. Let's get into some of the statistics that, or the predictions you guys. Mike said that uh, he'd be able to release or that he's got some new updates or not. He's not going to give us everything I'm not asking you to give everything that you're going to give at the NBA, uh, the secondary conference, but give us some insights because he said there's some new data that you're just releasing, um, and I, the, today, if I if I understood him correctly, that's that's right. Um, our you know, we have our new originations and our new economic forecast for April is being released today, and uh, I heard okay. mentioned a moment ago, you know, Fannie's uh, Fannie Mae's origination numbers are out. And it sounds like we're just a bit under Fannie Mae and our forecast for originations for this year. Our total originations are at about um, 1.24 billion for the year. I think Fannie was at 1.3. And for next year, we're at 1.17. So a slight uh, back off next year to reflect the fact that at some point, uh, some of this refi volume is going to go away. Right. As interest yeah. rates start going up and we've already seen refis start ticking down a little bit. Right. We're still under a four percent interest rate, yes. but, uh, you know, it's ebbing and flowing a little bit because there's just not that many people who can benefit from you know the, the, the interest rate reduction. Well, are we, we're starting to see, you know, home appreciation happen. So more people from that standpoint, I mean, as they're lifted out of negative equity into yep. positive equity position, we're we, going to see more of them. But there's a general sense that most of those that have taken advantage or could take advantage of it have. Is that what you guys are seeing your research is turning up? That That's definitely what it looks like. I don't have a, a specific statistic in front of me, but when you look at kind of the, the secondary market and where all the coupons are, uh, there's just not that many people left who can benefit from, from going lower. But, you know, something you said a moment ago just uh, is a good point. Everyone focuses on how many people have negative equity in their homes, you know, and how that relates to the ability to move or, you know, mm-hmm. sell your house and get into the next one. You know, even when people have, you know, 10% equity in their home, they're going to need 10, 15, 20% to get into that next new home that they want. 
And so even if they're exactly in positive right. territory, you know, they haven't gained 20% or 15% on their home uh, in the last couple yeah, of where years. A, where getting, move up, yeah, where, where a move up is really practical at that point. That's uh, right. That's a really good point. You have to have a down payment. What about GDP? What do you guys see for GDP and the over? Let's run through some of those numbers. Then I want to go to Joe Farr and invite him into it and Alice as well. So uh, yeah. I'll go to Joe after. Let's go through some of the numbers uh, that you guys are updating your statistics. I got my pen here. I'm going to write them all down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the big thing is that you know, as the first quarter, and you guys talked about it earlier, as those first quarter numbers came in, um, we've ticked down our expectation about first quarter GDP to 1.4%. Um, you know, right. I've seen uh, there's a lot of variance if you look at people's estimates on that, but we're we're pretty comfortable with 1.4. Overall for the year, we still think we're at 2.5% growth in GDP oh, uh, for 2015. So, you know, steady growth. This, this isn't explosive stuff, um, but steady growth. And um, what else you want to take a look at? I mean, unemployment rate, you know, even though people were very worried about the, the tick down in the uh, job creation in March, Right, we've been creating 200,000 yeah. new jobs a month for the last 13 months, and so then March came in under that, you know, 126,000. Um, even though that well, happened, we still held even on unemployment rate. Right, unemployment still at 5.5. Yeah. Uh, and and so yeah. you know that that's remained steady. One 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 statistic that, and Joe, I'm coming to you. I promise you, I promise. Right after this question, I'll go to you. But the question I have is, we're seeing job growth, but is the income growth? We saw last month that tick up just slightly on the income growth, which was encouraging. But what are you? What are you, you guys? Are, obviously, have so many more indicators that you're tracking than we than I get a chance to look at. What are you seeing for income growth, in addition to or beyond job growth? Right. So I think fourth quarter we saw um, real income or real wage compensation growth. So if we look at the employment compensation index, that actually ticked up in the fourth quarter of 2014. And we won't get to see that for the first quarter, I think, until the end of the month. So I'll really be looking and keying in on that number. Um, some of the other leading indicators that we look at suggest there's a lot of pressure in the market, you know, that the labor market is tightening. Um, for example, yeah. job openings ca- have continued to tick up. Um, people are voluntary quitting their, voluntarily quitting their jobs to go out and take other jobs. That's a, another sign of confidence, and you know, they must be chasing better wages if they're willing to do that. Um, and, in fact, we think those things have been increasing. You know, job openings and quits have been increasing faster than employers can hire right now. So it could be that's, there's just that's a little bit great. of stickiness in the market. Yeah, that's very good. We love. Well, I look. Joe turned me on to the Jolts report and uh, yep. the job opening and labor turnover survey. Very, very comprehensive. Very interesting report. And Janet Yellen looks at it. So whatever she's looking at, that's what I'm going to look at. <laughs> Joe, I'm going to flip it over to you and then to get let invite uh, Allison after that. Joe, uh, Lynn, I wanted to to see if you have studied and can can give us some thoughts on the elasticity of. Uh, Home purchases and interest rates, meaning how far I don't know how how high your your expect rates to be at the end of the year, but how high can they go without having a big negative effect on purchases? Great question. Well, by the end of the year, just so you know, we're um, now saying interest rates are going to be at about for the thirty-year fixed rate mortgage, just about four point four percent. We're looking for the Fed to start hiking rates around September. Um, I think everybody got a little nervous with the jobs report, so we we pushed that out to September. Um, Here's the thing. If interest rates are going up, it's because the other uh, indicators about economic health are doing well. 
um, you know, that the employment uh, continues to grow, that wages are coming up, hopefully inflation is coming up as a function of wages starting to grow. And so we think there's a good bit of, of, of room to maneuver here. You know, 4.4 is not that high an interest rate by historic standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're saying 5.3 by the end of next year. So we do not see that right now as a big headwind to the mortgage market. Um, you know, I think, again, the most important thing is uh, the population's aging just enough. They're in the prime age to, to get out there and start buying uh, and become homeowners. I think first-time home buyers are going to have a shot at getting into some homes. Um, and if the economy is doing better, then I think, I think we can tolerate this kind of interest rate growth. I want to I want to echo something you zero in. Is there a threshold? Do you have a sense for the threshold of where those headwinds start actually buffeting the progress we're making? Any sense? Is is it something north of five where you sense that? I, even that's ridiculous. I've been in this business for forty two years, and I'm, I mean, I know Stevens and I are pretty close this time. A little older than him, but, but I mean, the reality <laughs> is we've been around for a long, long time, and and five percent, six percent still sounds ridiculously low, but. In light of current economic data, that's a great question. Where is that threshold point? Do you have any sense of that? Yeah, I really don't have a magic number in mind. I I used to laugh and say 4% was the magic number for refinancing, right? Mm -hmm. Every time we tick below 4%, we see this boom. I don't have that magic number. I just want to see wage growth matching that interest rate growth. And as long as that's happening, I I don't have a magic threshold. How many of us took out a fourteen and a half percent loan in the mid eighties? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. Fortunately, yeah. Good question. No, I think my, I think my first time home buyer mortgage was seven percent. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Such oh, an interesting world. Uh, Joe, anything else that you got for Lynn before I flip over to Alice? No, go ahead and go to Alice. Alice. Good to have you Hi. here and listening in on this. Um, what questions do you have for Lynn that you think our listeners would like to know about all that she's watching and surveying? Oh, well, I have a couple, actually, but I'll just say my first-time home buyer rate for the first house, my husband and I had to buy on land contract, which is kind of unique to our area, and it was <laughs> 11%, you know, back in the days where someone could have a mortgage and still give uh you know, seller financing. So that's <laughs> dating myself now. But um, anyway, I had two questions, Lynn. Uh, the, so the first one, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about about um, credit loosening and tightening. And um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts and what's the MBA's position on should credit loosen or tighten and what is the potential impact that's on their great. economic yeah. And then my, my second question, um, I'll, just so I can let you kind of segue, is, you know, with all of this going on, what do you see as um, servicing values? You know, we, uh, and loan performance seems to be improving or definitely has been improving. And, you know, um, how is that going to be impacting things moving forward as a lot of companies are trying to retain servicing and um, use that as a hedge? Right, right. Well, on credit availability, we have seen some modest increases the last few months, I think, largely from the uptake of, um, on the conforming side, we've seen some uh, slight expansion from the uptake of the 97 LTV program. So that's, you know, Fannie introduced their programs in, in December and Freddie here just a few weeks ago in March. So there's been some very modest upticks and credit availability there. I would say, um, and this is relevant to some of your comments earlier about points and fees and other things, you know, uh, the real uh, interesting part uh, looking at our mortgage applications is there's not been an increase yet 
kind of in a year-over-year basis in the smallest loan balance sizes. So think uh, loans around the $150,000 range. Uh, Very, very little activity in that part of the market. Uh, Most of the credit availability um, increases over the last year uh, to, to two years has really been from the jumbo end of the market. So, you know, some activity at the high end, very little activity, it appears, at the, the low loan balance um, end of the market. And that's concerning. You know, when you ask me about impacts of that, uh, I worry about that for the first-time home buyer market. And it's, it's most likely a little bit of the demand side, right? The folks haven't gotten the wages that they're comfortable with to go out and make the purchases yet. But it also appears to be, uh, you know, some supply side that uh, uh, it costs more and more to originate a loan, and it's harder and harder, uh, you know, to, to charge enough when you have caps on points and fees and other things at those really low, small loan balance uh, buckets uh, in order to originate those loans. Um, I'm probably not as much the expert on the, the servicing side, but certainly, um, you know, cost of servicing have continued to go up. Um, the cost of servicing a defaulted loan, I think we estimate in the fourth quarter of 2014 was on the uh, it was about $2,300 to service a defaulted loan, whether, well, whereas it's like $150 to service a performing loan. And so as long as that, uh, you know, that just remains a huge disincentive to stretch into the credit box a little bit further. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, that's something we're going to have to keep an eye on to see if volume doesn't help us with some of those numbers. Um, but there's just a lot of full-time employees that everyone's had to bring on board in order to to remain compliant. Do you you look at what HUD's doing in with this? It, it's it's troubling to me to see that the potential of this, and yet I I wonder if I'm not overreacting to any hint of going back to yesterday where we're seeing credit standards. Um, I believe it was Sam Garcia made reference to an MBA's credit um, index. Do you have any that's sense right. of where that's at? Where, what that sure. number Our, is? I don't. Well, it's it's kind of a rubber number because it's a you know it's an index level, but it's at 121 right, right now. So for March, and okay. again at the height of the market, it was about 880. Um, and so no oh, one's wow. arguing that we should go back there. But I think it's it's mm-hmm. quite credible to make the claim that the pendulum swung too far. Um, you know, you can look at the specific terms of loans, but I think you also have to be. Um, or sort of pay attention to the incentives of, of lenders uh, to stay within, you know, their their peer groups, to uh, right. not have too many delinquencies. You, know, you have to stay, uh, keep your your pricing within 150 basis points of of the APOR. So there's a lot of things I think that are kind of keeping lenders together in a tight area of the credit box. I'm looking at where this time just flies by every time we get in one of these interviews. <laughs> What's the one statistic that you think that the MBA, what you're, that you're looking at, you think is really important that our listeners really zero in on as we go in to the next quarter, the next month, and you know, the next quarter, six months out? Uh, the one statistic I'm going to be watching? <laughs> How yes. about two? I really, really want to see. Two. Um, I'll take two. For, two. Two of them. First quarter household formation. And yep. first quarter uh, employment compensation, the, the employment compensation index. I really want to see where those two numbers are. Our sense, again, is that the labor market's tightening, that wage growth is coming, um, but we're still waiting for that moment when it starts to move.
What a joy to have you on the broadcast. Thank you so much. We're gonna. Uh, that's great. I appreciate those that answer. I agree with you. I think that's a, it's really where we're zeroing in on what's going to be the future of this industry, and it all trickles out from there. When we see interest rates going up, by how much, when, all that. Just real interesting. You do a great job at the. We're so pleased with our relationship with the NBA, and I I just can't champion enough, Lynn. Um, what you're doing there and what everyone's doing there. Kudos to David Stevens, Mike Frantoni, the whole group from top to bottom. We're going to have on next week, um, really looking forward to having on um, Schumer, Jeff Schumer, on, and talking about one of my favorite topics about bringing the next generation into our industry. So that'll be a good discussion. So we've got several. We had Ken on, Markison on from the uh, legal side. Now we have you on the economic side. And thank you so much for stepping in on such short notice. From And Mike had to step away from the mic. So very much. You're very welcome. Folks, we have had Lynn Fisher, Dr. Lynn Fisher, on, who's Vice President of Research and Economics at the Mortgage Bankers Association. We appreciate her being a part of the broadcast. Appreciate you telling others about the broadcast, tuning in, folks, and uh, sharing it with others. It's a great way. Go to the website, lickitonlending.com. It'll get you to all the broadcasts going back seven-some years, Alice. Guys, Joe, it's been forever, it seems like. But we love doing this. It's our way of giving back to the industry, and we appreciate you telling others about it so they, too, can benefit from this. And also, love to hear about from you about programs, that content that you would like for us to put on here. Have a great week, everybody. Get tuned in next week. Jeff Schumer will be on. I'm really on the topics near and dear to me, partly because I have a 23-year-old daughter I'd love to see into the industry. But we'll have him on talking about what we can do to attract the next generation into our industry. Have a great week, everybody. See you back here next week. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening. 